Thanks, Ray. So this morning, we are continuing our discussion, our, our sermon series on what happens now. What, what's God up to in his plan of bringing salvation to the people of this world? And I introduced an illustration. And so we'll have it on the screen. I also have these yellow handouts. They're, I know there are more copies in. If you picked one up before, I'd encourage you to keep it in your Bible and keep bringing it. I am going to major in this illustration this morning. So if you want to slip out real quick, I know there are copies out in the lobby if you want to be able to see it better than you can from the screen. But here's what this picture represents. It's based on the idea that Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And my contention is that he does that by, by working through us together as a, as a body of believers. And so it's, this is a metaphor, an illustration. A church congregation is like a, a ship that is working together to be fishers of, of people, that, that people are out there lost um, in, they don't know God, and they're drowning in the water. They're going to miss out on eternal life, and we are given the, the great work of helping people come into that relationship with, with Christ, with the Savior, so that they come out of the water into salvation, that they enter into eternal life, and that we pull them onto the boat. So that's, that's what the metaphor is for. And last week, I challenged people to put yourself in this picture. And I realize I probably need to give more explanation of the parts of the picture. But first, I, I have to realize, at least in my initial part of my story in faith, I, I didn't fit in this picture myself. Um, as I think about my own story, I grew up having a very marginal connection to the church. And even though my, mom, my mom's efforts was to get us more connected and to go to church, I kind of in my illustration, I swam away. I wanted nothing to do with church stuff. It just didn't seem to be relevant to my life. And um, it was only because of a group of, a group outside the church, a parachurch group called Young Life, that I came to faith in Jesus. And you could picture groups like Young Life as, as rowboats, right? They're not themselves church congregations, but they're like little rowboats that extend out from the ship to try to go after those people who, who are afraid of the ship, who won't come near to the ship, right? And that was young life for me. And it was through them that I got pulled out of the water and into a, a saving relationship with Jesus. What I didn't know at the time when I said yes to Jesus is my, my leader, R.D., even though he was out in a rowboat, he was firmly tethered to the ship. He was a part of a local church, and a couple times I went with him to his church, but he actually encouraged me to start going to church with my mom and my family and get involved in them. And I slowly started to do that. I, I remember by my senior year, I even got talked into being in the Easter play, playing one of the 12 disciples, and you know, but uh, so, so, but as time went on, even though I, I saw, started going to church, I still always wondered, 
like, you know, what's this about? Because I had come to faith outside of it, and I, I was fully committed to the mission. I bought in all the way to pulling other people out, to, to, to trying to help people get out of the water and find Jesus and come to salvation. And so I, after high school, I stayed with Young Life. I volunteered and eventually went on staff where my job was going out to teenagers and telling them about Jesus and trying to pull them in. And at times, here's a confession, I had trouble seeing the value of all the stuff that took place on the ship within the church. It seemed like the church did a lot of funny things. They had candles and robes. Sometimes they did Lenten luncheons, and um, they always were doing potlucks. And, you know, things that just, they, they argued over the color of the carpet a lot of times. And there, there's just a lot of in-house stuff that we do in churches. And as someone who is a kind of younger Christian, I just wondered, like, what's all that about? You know, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know the older people. So the idea of, you know, churches spend time praying for people in hospitals or, you know, that kind of stuff. It just seemed to be like a distraction from the mission. The, the, the outreach, the work that the, the church. Now, partly, simply, I was young, right? When you're young, some of that doesn't seem as important. Um, but even more is because I, I had been joined with the mission of reaching teenagers, and I just wondered why the people on the ship didn't seem to care as much about that as I did. Over time, God helped me see the value of the ship. I mean, I became a pastor. So, but, and God spoke to me and, you, you know, encouraged me through other pastors and I went to seminary and, and eventually, of course, I became a part, you know, a captain of the ship, you know, you could sort of say, um, when I became a pastor and I, I started to see and understand what it takes to keep a ship going, right? All the stuff that needs to happen. I mean, counting the offering and, you know, all the stuff, all the communication. And, and I started to understand why potlucks are good and, and even candles and, you know, all the things that goes into holding a congregation of people together and en enlivening them in their, in their worship. And, and so what God did then is he brought people into the church that I was pastoring that were passionate about fishing, right? They were sort of like I was in that they, they loved to fish off the deck. And they were passionate about reaching people. I, you know, I remember some who had tattoos and stuff, and they, they, they didn't always fit into the regular church, but they wanted to invite people to church. And I loved working with them and doing outreaches and, and different things like that. But what's funny is I would talk to them and they didn't understand all the stuff that was taking place, all the in-house stuff, right? They had that same attitude of, why don't those other people in the church care more about the, the reaching the lost, the mission of the ship, than I do? And then the people who were on the ship that I was working with, um, pastoring, they didn't understand, why don't the people who are doing all the fishing, why don't they care more about the things that happen on the ship? Right? They, why don't they come to this function we're doing? Why don't they help out with this fundraiser? And I found this tension between the people who were passionate to fish off the ship, fish off the deck, and do the mission of the church 
with those who felt their, their, their work was holding the ship together and doing the work on the ship. And I found that tension between those two. And that was the genesis of this illustration. Trying to understand even in my mind and to communicate to others, like, we need to value each other. God did this on purpose. He brought together people who are outward-oriented. They're fishermen on, on a mission. And he brought together people who are inward-oriented, who want to hold the ship together and make sure it's working well. And he put them in the same group. And we are to value the contributions we each make to that part. So there's two truths that I think are intention, and they're both true. So truth number one, um, so as I talked about, the ship represents a church congregation and its mission to bring people onto the ship and into salvation. So that's what this picture is. So it's, it's not the, the church as a whole. You can think there's even in the picture a little other ship in the background. Like there's other church congregations. But this represents a single congregation. And so the two truths is the mission of the ship is to make disciples as people come to know and follow Jesus. That's the mission we, we've been given it is not a cruise ship. The ship does not exist just for the people on it. We have been commissioned to go after the people in the water who are missing out on eternal life and let them know about the Savior who came and to, and to do everything we can to pull them out of the ship into eternal life. Um, and so know that if you've said yes to Jesus and hence have been brought onto the ship, you are part of that task. It's not just about us. It's about the work he's given us. So that's truth number one. Truth number two is, in order to fulfill the mission of making disciples, it is vital that the ship be sound or healthy, or maybe a better word to be seaworthy, right? There's a lot that goes into keeping the ship floating. There's a lot that has to happen so that the ship is able to do the work and to do it well. And I think the outreach people sometimes miss out on and don't understand all that goes into keeping a ship afloat. And so those two tensions, I think, are what this, this picture is about. And, and this illustration is one that I guess it's based off of what Jesus said, fishers of men. It's one that I've kind of pulled together. I think it leads us into another extended metaphor the one we have in our passage today. And it's a, I think it's, it makes similar points. Today our, our metaphor, our passage, talked about the body of Christ. It imagines the church and a church congregation as a body with many different members and parts. And so God arranges the members of those parts together for a reason. And so the central verse, right in the middle of this metaphor, Paul says, God arranges the members, the parts of the body, as he sees fit to fulfill his plan for his own purposes. God composes, he brings together people into a congregation for his purposes, for the mission. And so that's at the heart of our 
um, think today. Let's, let's go and begin with verse 11. The, the metaphor properly starts in verse 12. Verse 11 is sort of transitioning. It, it says, all these, and it's talking about all the, the, the different roles or gifts that the Spirit gives to people to do in the church. All those roles are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We are given different gifts, different ways of being able to do things by the Holy Spirit to do the work of the kingdom. And, and so the, the point he's making is a lot of different ways it looks, but there's one Spirit that, that, that makes it all happen. It's not like I have this spirit and you have this spirit. No, we have the same spirit, even though the way we put it into practice looks different. And then that leads into verse 12. He says, for just as the body is one and has mem- many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. What makes someone part of the body of Christ? And the clear answer he gives, they've been baptized into it by the spirit. So we baptize with water because that's what we have to baptize. But the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. He makes us a part of the body of Christ. And so we are united into Christ by his body. And, and so he takes people that are so different. He says, talks about Jews and Greeks, different nationalities, slave or free. The Lord delights in taking people who are different and uniting them into one fellowship. That's his plan. That's, that's what he's about. The church goes against the tendency of our world to only gather with people who are like-minded. Have you noticed that? That people, more than ever, only want to gather with those who have the same views on things. I think, you know, with, with our kids as they grow up, right? They're, they're in school with people all their own age, and then college, you're all with, and, and the church is the one place that fights that. Right? You are a part of the church if you're a newborn baby all the way up to you know, your elder statesman years. right? And we're all a part of the same thing. And we all have to learn to accommodate one another. So one of the marks of the church is, is that it's intergenerational. It's not just you know, all people, all young adults getting together for something. It has to be intergenerational. Another mark is they come from various backgrounds even ethnic backgrounds or social backgrounds. Um, we're not all the same in, in how we've been raised. and we, So we bring in different perspectives on things as he gathers us into a body. Um, in the church, you have different types of work. You know, we don't all do the same things. Can you imagine a church where everyone was an engineer? It'd be a disaster. We have a lot of engineers here. I'm, if, if you don't know that, I'm, I'm making fun of them a little bit. Uh, so anyways, that, the, part of the strength of the church is the differences. Suppose a, a seeker comes, and they're, they're kind of checking it out, and everyone is an extrovert, outgoing and friendly. You think that'd be good, right? But what if the seeker's kind of introverted, and, and they may be greeted and welcomed, but they like, I don't fit into here because I can't be like them. So the introverts have a place in helping people be drawn into the body. Um, if they see a mix of people, outgoing and quiet, maybe I can find a place 
in this, in this fellowship. Moving on, verse, uh, it's a long section, verses 14 to 19 is making one glorious point, is that we each have a part and role within the body. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, right? We tend to compare ourselves to one another. Uh, I can't be part of the body of Christ because I'm not like them. We elevate certain traits of types of people. And if we don't fit in, well, I'm not a part of the body. No, Paul says, you're, you're part of the body. You have a different role, a different gifting, a different style, If the spirit is in you, you've been made a part of the body. God brought you into this on purpose. Don't worry about what you can't do. He has a part for you to play, a role for you to play in the health and life of the body and in in its mission. God arranged it to bring different people into one fellowship on purpose. What happens when different people with different perspectives hang out a lot, right? We rub against each other. In every church, everywhere, there's always been conflict. Someone might think, well, in the church, we're all so holy and loving. We'll never have church fights. Try joining a church. Every church, everywhere, has conflict. It's part of the deal. It's actually part of God's plan. He arranged it that way. It's not not having conflict, it's how we deal with conflict. It's supposed to be different than how the people of the world deal with conflict. God brings us into these relationships so we can learn to love other people who are different from us. You know, if everyone is just like us, like us, well, that loving each other doesn't mean much. Jesus said, if you love those who love you back, what reward is in that? Even the pagans do that right? What do the pagans do? They gather with like-minded people where it's easy to, lo- to get along. In the church, he wants us to learn to love people who are different as practice. We got to learn practicing just loving people who are a little bit different, who still have Christ in common with one another, because he's preparing us for the day when we've got to love people who are our enemies. He says, if you really want to be what the Father is like, if God is like, you got you to love those who hate you. You gotta love those who persecute. You gotta bless those who insult you. We gotta learn how to love one another here in the church so we're prepared for the real stuff when it comes. That's how God arranged it. In verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. God arranged it that we need each other. None of us are meant to follow Jesus alone. Remember one time I was hiking with my brother and, and so glad um, we were hiking the Grand Canyon, and so glad he was with me. I, somehow my electrolytes got off and my legs were cramping and I had the last mile, I could barely take a step. And he, he had to not only take my pack, he had to come up underneath me and boost me up each step of the way for a whole mile. It took us like two and a half, three hours to do one last mile of that hike. Sometimes our strength leaves us and we need a brother or sister who will boost us up and and get us to the next thing. 
Now, my brother said he would have been probably just left me there on the mountain, but he knew he'd have to call mom and tell her what happened. So, so that's the only reason. Um, you can't say to your brother or sister, I don't need you. We need each other, and we're meant to need each other. Verse 22 to 23. I, I spent a lot of time meditating on this this week. Let me read the whole thing again. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. So this is a weird illustration. Paul's talking about the, the parts of the body we cover up and, you know, keep, you know, present with modesty. He's talking about how that doesn't mean they're any less important just because they're covered up. That means they're unpresentable. But, but the point he's making is this. And it's, it's the ones that are supposed to be dishonorable are clothed in honor by God. The people that this world says has little or no value. The people, the, the people that this world would write off as dispensable can find in the body of Christ a, not just a place, but a purpose, a reason. And as, as I was just translating, thinking about that, I just, it's like I, I was thinking about those who struggle with addiction, right? Who the world says, oh, you'll never have any, any value But when they put their trust in Jesus and they find their place in the church, even though the struggle goes on, they become a beacon of hope for others out there to know that they can overcome addiction. They have a purpose. And I could go through the line. The ones the world would just say, these have no value. Those who who have disabilities, those who who are poor, those who, who, who struggle with this or that. In the body of Christ, God has a purpose and a place for all of those people, for all of us. Not just that they're loved. Of course they're loved by God. And not just that they're loved by the rest of the body, but they have a a purpose beyond what human eyes can see. God arranged it. God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And so we in the body honor how others contribute to, to, the, to the body of Christ. I think about how Jesus, when he saw the widow put in a, a little penny, you know, nothing. The world would have, you know, and all the people had put in their big amounts to, to fan, great fanfare. He pointed her out to the disciples and said, she put in more than everyone else He honored her contribution before his followers. We are to honor the contributions that we each make within the body of Christ. And he goes on to say that there may be no division in the body, but the bodies may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we suffer together. If one member is honored, we rejoice together. In the body, we care for and support one another. We pray for each other through our struggles. We mourn with each other through our losses. We rejoice through our victories. And then it closes with, and this picture Paul just stamping it. says, now you are 
the body of Christ, individually members of it. He wants them to take that for, for truth. Jesus calls his followers to join together into a local body of Christ. You know, it, we're, we're members of the body, the, the one holy universal Christian church. But in order to experience that, we have to join in a specific congregation. That's where we experience the truth of, of this passage. And that goes against the grain of our individualistic culture. We live in a world that, you know, focus, focus on yourself. Do what your heart tells you to do. You know, find, find the real you out there. The scriptures say, join with others. Tr- trust what God says to you first. Um, rather than just emphasizing the consumer personal choices, he wants to bring us into where we even say no to ourselves for the sake of others so that we can be part of something far greater than we can be on our own. That is the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it, members of it. As we think about this, it's, it's vital we keep in mind that, that truth, the two truths. The mission of this ship is to make disciples and help other people come to know, to know Jesus. It's, um, it's so that they would know and, and follow him. And at the same time, there's so much that goes into what it, it means to keep the ship sound. I realized I skipped a part of my message, a big part. I wanted to go over the roles of the ship. And I think as I get near the close, I want to, I want to, so I'm going to back up and focus on this again, because if you look at the different spots in this ship, so the, you got people fishing off the deck, right? And they're, they're, they're casting out to people in the water, reaching out to them. And then you have some people pulling someone up on the ship. So that's a roll. And then up, up here in the corner, it's a little hard to see, but th- there's someone who's just been pulled up, who's who just pulled out of the water. Someone's caring for that person, right? Someone just pulled out of the ship. Someone who's new to the faith needs special care in their walk with Christ. So there's some people that, that focus on that. There's other people who are holding out lights because it's dark out there so that you can see out into the water, and there's, there's that role. Um, some of the people are just, just encouraging and supporting and cheering on those who are doing the fishing, and so there's, there's that aspect of it. Then there's others, more in the middle of the ship. There, there's some, someone steering the ship, right? Deciding what direction the, the, the church goes and, and the things that they focus on. But next to him is someone who's looking up. Because we don't make these decisions on our own. We look up to the one who, who, who sets us, you know, and we're listening to God's spirit about the direction. And then not far from them is, is a couple guys looking at a map, Right? They're, they're navigating by this map, and so we navigate by God's word and make the decisions based on that. Then you have some who climb up to the mast to look out for dangers and icebergs, or they're looking out for those out in the water and looking further out to see maybe if the, the ship headed this way, there's more people to, to interact with. And then there's a couple who are um, fixing the mast. I know it's probably hard to see, but like who are focused on the, the actual physical ship. 
you know, who are making sure the ship has a functioning septic system, right? Because that's important. So all those are the different roles. And, and I want you to think about, and I'm sure we could add more, right? It's just a metaphor. <laughs> Take it for what it is. But where do you see yourself in this, right? Where have you found joy in serving the Lord? Are you an in-house person? You want to you help pull the ship together? Or you are a send me out to go fishing, right? Put me out in a rowboat um, somewhere because I want to go reach the people that no one else is reaching. Where do you find yourself within this, this ship, within this illustration? And what, what gives you joy in serving the Lord? That's what I want you to think about this week as we continue to talk about this. But I want to I close with talking about how important it is. Something um, momentous happened. There was a change that, that took note. I talked about um, Barna polling last week. This week, I want to gallop. And a month ago or so, he came out with a report uh, that now in America, under 50% of people are now members of a church congregation. And so, it says, in his latest thing, it's always... It, it had been as high as in the 70s, um, you know, not too long ago. It says 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or a mosque. So he actually includes three different types of congregations outside of Christianity. Um, down from 50% in 2018 to 70% in 1999. It's not just that the church is getting smaller. What's happening is cultural Christianity is dying. People are no longer getting onto the ship because, well, it's nice to be on a ship, right? Those who don't have a living relationship with Jesus are now saying, I don't really need to be a part of a church. Cultural Christianity is dying, and that's not all a bad thing. It means people are seeing the truth that they need, you know, if, that if, they, if they're out in the water they're more likely to see the truth that they need Jesus. If they think they're okay because they've kind of attached themselves to a chip, that actually doesn't help. And so it highlights the mission of, of the church is we are to make known the good news of Jesus in a dark, darker world. He's given us the opportunity. And it's especially vital because when you look at the statistics for, for younger people. So I have another slide. Um, church membership is strongly coordinated correlated with age. So you had 66% of traditionalists, those born before 96 were a member of a church. 58% of baby boomers. 50% of those in Generation X. That, that's me. So half and half of my, my people. Um, 36% of millennials. Notice that. So one third, only one third of people Millennials feel any need to be a part of a religious congregation. The opportunity's out there. The need is out there. What will it take to bring the good news to the young adults? And we haven't got to Generation Z yet, you know, my kid's age, of where are they going to go? Are they, they going to hear about Jesus? Friends, we have an opportunity in this world right now. People are not just joining a church because they're supposed to. That means we can invite them to join because Jesus can save them. 
So here at East Glenville, we're going to learn to love God and love others as we follow Jesus together and invite people into that relationship. Are you in? We ready to go? Let's ask God to bless it. Father, I thank you that that you have called us together. I thank you for the fellowship and and friendships and positive relationships we have as, as part of this body of believers. I thank you that even... You, you shape our spiritual lives through our involvement in church. Even when there's tension at times, Lord, you use that to help us grow in our, our real love for, for others. So, Father, continue to use this particular congregation. May we grow in our faith in Jesus. May we grow in our love for one another. And may you show us how to do the mission you've given us. We ask this, and may you strengthen us through your spirit. Amen.